Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Dungeons. I am here with my co-host, world traveler, Teos Abadia. Ciao, buongiorno. Oh, buongiorno. Ma che cosa? Ilishana, I don't know. Yeah. That's all you Um, got? (laughs) No, no, I actually, I did all right. Did you? Speaking Spanish makes it a little easier to do the whole uh, Italian piece, but you, it's like anything else when, when you, you think you're feeling really good, right? You're on that high of like, I am communicating. And then someone says something, you're like, I have no idea what you just said. Yep. Not, not and, a clue. Uh, or I say something and they would look at me and go, hmm. And hmm. I'd say, well, let me try other variations of Spanish that may be like the word I'm trying to say. I was um, on a school tour of Italy and we had a big enough tour group that we had two tour directors we had to split into Mm -hmm. two groups and the two tour directors were both italian one from rome and one from sicily and they could not understand each other (laughs) there's that too yeah yeah sometimes i would hear like oh well that's the you know right tuscan way or the volterran way and yeah but i had a lovely time it was super invigorating because you're just uh in in the middle of tuscany with all these super medieval looking things and everywhere i looked and i tried to share lots of pictures on twitter because i figured they're useful Mm -hmm. um but yeah yeah my mind was just i I kept on jotting down ideas it's like you know what are you thinking about honey i'm like don't say designing don't say (laughs) designing (laughs) designing Yeah. yeah 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 true story well welcome back uh thanks we had a, a great visit from Scott Gray, and then wow, I, I listened I, to that. Yeah. yeah, had a had a week off, a much needed rest. But now we're back, and we're ready to talk some D and D, and we're going to get get right in with the news. But before we do the news, I wanted to say that our main topic today is going to be about sort of the future of D and D publishing and marketing based on new technologies. So some of the news that we're going to touch on actually will reoccur when we talk about the main topic, or we may get into part of the main topic while we're doing the news. So don't be surprised. But first and foremost, uh, let's talk about Stranger Things. In just a couple of days from this recording, probably when the show drops, part two of season four will be premiering on Netflix. So it's. I know that a lot of the D and D fans I've been talking with are are all in. They're all in on uh, Vecna oh, this yeah. season. And what I want to know is, will will Vecna end up losing an eye or a hand? I think so, because you know the way that Obi Wan and Vecna have been interacting. Wait, is that? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's sort um, of... that would be really cool. I. Uh, it's. It's. You can never be sure. I mean, I think fans of D and D, we want Stranger Things to be like a hundred percent our show sometimes, right? Well, and we keep having to remind ourselves that it's better for not being it, right? It's fun sure. to have these callbacks, but but we don't need. I mean, it can't be right. It can't be the story of Vecna, right? Because that would be totally weird, and then and then we'd actually hate that if it were that, right? So so it's just you know what kind of callbacks or tidbits will they throw in there and I, if yeah losing a hand or an eye would be just super like that'd be very fun right so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that for you uh we hope you if you are watching it are enjoying stranger things uh the next bit of news is D beyond is offering the intro chapter to radiant citadel and a bunch of other information so uh you can for a limited time get the first chapter of radiant citadel for free as long as you have a subscription to uh or an account i should say on D D beyond and, and, and i mean 
we, I think we have to say, you know, we already said at the beginning that we're going to be tying into this kind of topic, but you can't help but put a little bit of a little placeholder here to say, Hey, look, look what, look what D and D is now doing, right? They own D and D beyond. And now they can offer you a preview before the book is physically out there. Yeah. So you can see it and whet your appetite. And then the blogs can support that and expand it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was always that connection, but it was a very loose connection. Uh, Now it can be more tightly, if managed well, can be more tightly uh, enmeshed between the marketing for it and the content that we'll be seeing. Mm-hmm. So what content will are we seeing in this intro chapter? Well, it's, it's actually very interesting. Uh, we learned that the Radiant Citadel sits in the ethereal plane, which we sort of already knew, but it was built by 27 different civilizations. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. And then at some point it was abandoned and lost to history. Uh, recently it was reclaimed by the descendants of some of those civilizations, Although they don't originally say how long ago that this re- reclamation happened or how long this, this radiant citadel was dormant before then. So they don't say that right away. And then later they give it a little history, which yeah. does clarify that, which, which I thought is, was interesting. Which is 250 years ago, right? This right. Brass yeah. dragon that goes on a quest to find it. Just, uh, it's a neat story. I, I, like, yeah. I like the way this comes together. It's, it's a good example, I think, of a story that's not overly complicated, but mm. feels rich and bigger than the words are. And that's, I think, hard to write. So right. uh, I think Ajit George, who was on our show a few yeah. episodes ago, check that out if you didn't. Mm. Um, he said that this was something he wrote, this this intro chapter. So that's right. you know, yeah. good job. <laughs> yeah. And, and what what's, what's interested me lately, especially with settings or mini settings or whatever you want to call this, is how the lore can be used to tell a specific kind of story or sort of get in the way of telling a specific kind of story you might want to tell. That's why this, when was it refounded was so interesting to me because if it had happened a year ago, those are different stories than you tell if it was refounded 250 years ago. Uh, And it says this, you know, this is a city of immigrants. Well, if people have been coming here for 250 years at what point do you go from immigrant to resident uh, of a place? Um, you know, if, if there are five generations of humans that are now living there, is that still sort of the same story than, than if it had just been refounded? Yeah. And I, and you know, what isn't super clear, right? So 250 years ago is when this brass dragon takes upon this quest of doing it. And, and I think the kind of concept is that to find it, you had to find the original civilizations that had created mm-hmm. the Radiant Citadel. So who knows how many years it took to find that group. And yeah. then it was apparently a perilous long journey to get there. So there, there's some you know, fluidity there in terms of what exactly the definition is. And, right. and it could be, but I think it's a good question. To what extent do people still feel that they are new here versus yeah. established? Because yeah, 250 years. I mean, you compare that to the say, oh, I don't know how long America's been around, right? I mean, yeah. so it's, yeah, that's. 
Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And of course, as a DM, you can do anything you want to make the sort of story you want. But some people get attached to the lore and don't want to contradict the lore or can't because of other interconnections. So, yeah, so uh, 27 civilizations built it. 15 civilizations are currently represented in the grand reopening of the Radiant Citadel. So the other 12 civilizations, their fortunes are still unknown. Uh, which is a cool concept, right? It's you could have a whole campaign of finding these other twelve civilizations. You could do lots of things with it. So, so that's awesome. Uh, the city itself is built up out of a single fossil that's floating through the ethereal plane, uh, but the fossil is wrapped around this huge auroral diamond. And one of the details of the diamond is it changes color frequently, not at the same interval, but at, at definitely quite uh, frequently, which is theorized to correspond to the birth or death of a civilization somewhere in one of the prime planes. Yeah. And, you know, I love this concept because I want to go, okay, cool. The city's built out of a single fossil of what? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it fossilized tree stuff, rock? Yeah. creature that had right. this shard of oral diamond put through it like there, yeah. there could be so much that you could build upon here that's really yeah. kind of neat yep. um and and there's a map that looks like a, a schley map that, that's here yeah of the radiant citadel but then later we get another map which is or a picture which is a side view and that really helps you appreciate sort of how the the sort of like this diagonal shard is piercing sort of multiple layers that are tied together of this city so it kind of ends up almost being like decks yeah Uh, and that's really neat so that's that's it's a great great creative imaginative type of place sure uh we get some information on things that make up the city uh the court of whispers is a group that sells knowledge of and knowledge from these 15 civilizations so uh like instead of going to the library, you would go to the court of whispers. Um, there's the house of convalescence, which handles all healing. Uh, and since they have the huge auroral diamond that pierces the center of this city, it acts as a permanent diamond for spell components. So anytime <laughs> you want to cast raise dead resurrection, even revivify, you have a diamond that never loses uh, its cohesiveness when used as a spell component in those really spells, yeah. yeah, uh, which changes the changes the way you would run a campaign there. Uh, yeah. have having that rule thing uh, uh, put into place. There is the keening gloom, which is a cyclone that hovers around and above and about the radiant citadel. Uh, it draws closer to the citadel in times of turmoil within the city, and people fear that at some point the cyclone will actually swallow up the radiant citadel. And, and I love things like this, right? Where, where we don't know exactly what this thing is. It mm-hmm. apparently killed adventurers in the past. It's got this sort of horror aspect to it that, that drives fear into your heart. And it gets closer when things are going poorly. And in fact, it was around this, um, the radiant citadel until they reclaimed it. And so it was like, it's almost like it's, it's held at bay by 
the Radiant Citadel being active and, right. and having its jewels work and all that. that that's super fascinating, right? Yeah. It's a great sci-fi kind of angle of what is happening here. And yeah. You don't necessarily need to know the answer to right. it, but it's there for a DM to play with. That's, exactly, that. which, is, which is what I do to love about settings like that. Um, there's the Palace of Exile, which is a place that helps refugees from other civilizations heal and then integrate into, uh, integrate into the Radiant Citadel. There's the Preserve of the Ancestors, which is kind of like the zoo of the Citadel without all the negative connotations associated with zoos nowadays. Uh, but it's a place where endangered creatures, uh, beasts, flowers, and so on can live within the, the Radiant Citadel. Yeah, we uh, also have, yeah. what's the name of them? The um, Incarnates. Yep. And those are really fascinating uh, creatures. There, mm-hmm. these spirits bound within gemstones that sort of look like a beast. Um, those are really. There's a lot there that I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see whether the rest of the book has greater detail on them. Yeah, I mean, I it's I think it's worth going a little further into that. So spirits or souls um, are drawn into these gems and can come together then to form creatures made out of more than one gem so it's sort of a what's the Jungian phrase like the a group consciousness sort of mm-hmm. thing right. so it when it speaks or if an incarnate speaks it speaks but you hear hundreds of different voices saying the same thing so it's and it again a great uh a great motif or a great trope for getting information to players or kicking off uh, adventures when an incarnate is looking for help or something happens within an incarnate. So, uh, you know, it's another great little tidbit of, of information. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, there's a blog entry that talks about them yep. further. Yep. Cool. And uh, the Radiant Citadel is governed by a council of speakers known as speakers for the ancestors. Each speaker is a descendant of one of the founding civilizations that is currently known to the Citadel. Uh, So they are the ruling body of the Radiant Citadel. Then we get into the travel. How do you get there? Most travel goes through the Concord Jewels, uh, which are each jewel is attuned to a different civilization somewhere, uh, one of the founding civilizations. And you can, if you find the, the corresponding gate on within that civilization, you can travel between the two. Uh, they do say the auroral diamond is a beacon for those that are lost in the ethereal deep or the deep ethereal. Uh, you know, they can find their way to the Citadel, those spirits, those people lost in the ethereal uh, because of the auroral diamonds beacon. Yeah. And some nice kind of, explanations there around because it, it it acts as sort of this point of radiance it drives away any undead or most of the typical things that might want to prey on this place they also have the ability to to enclose itself in like a big shield and they have various protective people and of course this is the kind of place that attracts a lot of wizards so it's hard to mess with this place just you know by being some sort of like like pirates or anything like that right that's that's not a general threat right um and it's explained, I think, fairly elegantly. And, you know, mm-hmm. It works to, to establish what isn't a threat to this place. Yeah. So there's a ton of great information in there. Nothing 
Uh, no adventures, although they do give sort of adventure hooks or types of adventures you might want to run. Uh, and they do give some rules things, like I said about the, the, the diamond being able to be used permanently as a spell component for uh, spells that return people to life. A few other mechanical bits in there. Uh, but for the most part, it's, it's a very good, solid sound, interesting preview of what will be in the book. And at the bottom of all of these articles, there is a big pre-order now link. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And according to plans, the book will be releasing July 19th, uh, unless yeah. that changes sometime between now and then. Yeah. Which it did previously, right? I think this already yeah. changed once, but uh, but yep. probably is solid around now. <laughs> yes, yeah. hope. And so, what what can we expect from the DMs Guild creation for this? Yes, yeah, so this was a nice piece of news last week. Anthony Joyce Rivera disclosed that he led a team of twenty one POCs uh, who, just as the book itself was written by old POCs, um, this group has collaborated. Many of them, including the designers of Journeys Through the Regent Citadel itself to expand into seven gazetteers of expanded lore and encounters. And that's going to be available as a, as a book that everybody can get. It also includes 16 pieces of commissioned art and three cover frames. And those are in a free commercial use art pack. So guild creators can take the gazetteers, the art, and they can use all of that in creating things. And on July 19th, not only can you get your hands on journeys, through the Radiant, Radiant Citadel, you can get your hand on this gazetteer and these resources, and you can begin publishing. So that's really cool, right? Immediate ability to have not just the ability to publish, but a bunch of resources for it. Um, I'll be curious to see what the rules are for publishing, if there's anything special the way there has been for like Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I think the dungeon craft, you know, will there be a sort of dungeon craft aspect to it for organized play as well? That'll be interesting. Um, but, but just away from organized play, I think this is a really nice way to boost that. Mm, I totally agree. Uh, speaking of organized play, uh, the, the adventures league spell jammer and virtual weekend has released some news. There is going to be an upcoming spell jammer campaign. This one will start at level one must be played in order and is level restricted. Uh, so it, it is part of the forgotten realms adventures league content so if you still have a first level character from some other campaign you you can use it uh but once you get into this campaign it's sort of play in order and and go through it i I thought that was a fascinating decision right we've seen a lot of campaigns where they're like uh, this is just for these you know brand new characters and i guess because the idea is that Spelljammer is sort of a hodgepodge you can come from anywhere so they're like well as long as you're playing in an open campaign mm-hmm. you know that's forgotten realms ish so it's not Abron or anything like that but you can be from the moonshades or you can be from dreams of red wizards as long as you have that first level pc if you want to bring them into here you can right all right sure yeah. and then they said dreams of the red wizards which is you know the 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 adventures league sort of all in one campaign mm-hmm. um they will have a story arc featuring Spelljammers, but this will be separate from this uh, Spelljammer specific campaign. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then uh, the Travelers of the Multiverse Unearthed Arcana article will be a valid resource for character creation because that covered Spelljammer content. 
until the actual rules come out and then you will need to update your character with right. the new rules assuming that they are different than the unearthed arcana article yeah and- i'm really excited about that um this this seems like like very exciting stuff right like really cool jump into spell jammer easily find a group you can find it in all the virtual weekends that's that's great stuff yep and the july you know virtual weekend will be happening in july surprisingly mm-hmm. um so you can sign up and get ready for all that as soon as bald man games uh via the yawning portal website gets their uh gets their uh, content up gets their scheduling up so there you go now yeah, what was what's this about dragon marks so this is just, I think, very preliminary information. I got this from the BMG Discord, which I, I'm treating as public. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was something that other people could hear about. So I think it, it's public-ish. But uh, I think we'll be hearing more about this, which is a new reward program for virtual weekend players. A lot of times the, the reward programs are for DMs. Uh, but this is called Dragon Marks. And each time they play a virtual weekend game, you will get a dragon mark. And in the future, there will be ways to turn these in for various benefits. And they said the rules are, you know, still to come. But uh, but they did mention some things like even like merchandise, like uh, I don't know if it's shirts or things like that, but sort of some fun things that you could get that that are real world things, not just things for your character. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that program works and, and what it does. But a sort of loyalty program, you know, for mm-hmm being a returning player i think that's a neat idea yeah it's something that they experiment with constantly i i feel like in adventures league you know you have the the little cards you got in the mail at one point and you have these different things so you know it's it's cool that they um that they are trying something new for these virtual game days and it'll be interesting to see how it goes uh in other sort of uh, not Adventures League news, but just in terms of industry news, Renegade Games is hiring a product developer. This is a fully remote position. Uh, in this position, you'll be responsible for aiding the creation of new RPGs by working with cross-functional departments of creative, production, graphics, and marketing teams. Creativity and attention to detail are key as you help turn vision into reality with the amazing IPs that Renegade is bringing to the role-playing space. And you may know Renegade games from games such as G.I. Joe, Hunter the Reckoning, Kids on Bikes, and Alice is Missing. Yeah, it seems like a really neat place to be involved uh, in creating games. Um, so that we've, we've linked to those there. And, and particularly wanted to share these. I was sharing with Sean recently that someone uh, who listens to our show uh, I don't know if it's okay for me to share the name, so I'm going to share the name, but but one of the positions that we had shared, we had someone write back to us and say, hey, I heard about this position on your show, and I landed the position, so yeah. congratulations, you know who you are, yeah. uh, but also it, it made us feel good, because it's like, okay, well, there is a reason to share these things, you know, right. there is a chance that someone out there will land one of these, and the next one could be you. <laughs> yeah, and with, with fully remote uh, being an option now more and more. Yeah, it's helping people with the dream of working in the role-playing game industry make that dream come true so congratulations and thank you to renegade games for uh putting out good material and and uh mm-hmm. and hiring remotely uh last but not least in terms of news i wanted to give a shout out to my cohorts at ghostfire gaming as we introduce season two of fables Season one is coming to an end at the end of June and season two 
called Pirates of the Ethereal Expanse will be going live at the beginning of July. Uh, I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on what this is, but all I can say is go to ghostfiregaming.com and click on the page for Fables 2. And if you can't, the cinematic trailer that's there, if you can't get excited about a campaign based on that cinematic trailer, then uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you yeah. I'm, not, I'm not into pirates a, a heck of a lot. And really? Yeah. And you're, I, you're ninja side, huh? Uh, yeah, well, I'm neither. I'm neither side. I, I'm cowboys. Ninjas either? Yeah, I'm cowboys. Okay, yeah, if, sure. If, if it's the th- you know the triangle of ninjas, cowboys, and, and well, pirates. everything these days is modeled on cowboy stories anyway, yeah. so you can you can still do exactly. It. Um, but but even even I with my uh, not affinity to pirates was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> That's really That's cool. Neat. I would like to run this. So uh, check check that out if you are so interested. And just a reminder that fables are sort of a a new version of the adventure path. So each month you will get a kit with the adventure and some some extras to run a campaign uh, that lasts you know about th- six months, taking you from levels one to whatever uh, the the encounter season there uh decides to to support yeah and, and I'm, I'm excited about this I, I enjoyed the previous fables the first mm-hmm. season i signed up to see what that was like yeah. uh, i thought it was a very good subscription model i like how the ghost Bar gaming organizes all the files and, and gets them out to you um james hake's doing a great job no shock mm-hmm. uh creating really neat adventures so i'm sure this will be excellent and I was showing Sean earlier that I just got my Grim Hollow Monster Grimoire uh, yeah. Kickstarter rewards. And oh, wow, it is it's yeah. really good stuff. So uh, Ghostfire is doing uh, some really neat things and I'm excited. I, I also read yeah. your blog, Sean, where you wrote, uh, you sort of broke apart why Aurora, your most recent Kickstarter, um, why it looked at races differently. And I thought that was just a really like mind blowing design blog that just takes common things you might think are always one way and breaks down why you can look at it differently, why you might want to look at it differently. So yeah, very cool stuff from Ghostwire. Thank well, you, Sean. Thank you. And now we're going to get into our main topic, which will include a bit of news as well as some discussion and speculation. Uh, so our main topic is, uh, technology, marketing, sales, and how RPGs are changing. And so with the first bit of news that, bring, that wraps up into this is Hasbro has sent a letter out to investors talking about their new strategy for D&D and Magic. Uh, if you have been listening to the show frequently recently, we've been talking about this activist investor group within <laughs> Hasbro that has been positioning themselves and there's been more than one group doing this they sort of feel that wizards of the coast is undervalued as a stock under the hasbro blanket under the hasbro umbrella and they may be right uh so they've been trying to get the board to spin off wizards of the coast as its own company and that effort has apparently failed at least temporarily so uh 
in the wake of that defeat, these uh, Hasbro sent a letter to investors, and this is just a portion of it. Chris Cox, who is the president and CEO of Hasbro now, and who used to be the president and CEO of Wizards of the Coast, is moving forward with the refinement of Hasbro's long-term strategy, which includes actions to drive meaningful change by focusing on fewer, bigger opportunities, profitably growing our world-class portfolio of brands and amplifying our industry-leading gaming portfolio. As Chris has emphasized, critical to this change, we'll be putting the consumer at the center of everything we do with a spotlight on games, multi-generational play and entertainment, and creating direct relationships with our fans. So a lot of that's just corporate speak. Yeah, but almost mind-numbingly so. <laughs> but even within even within that corporate speak, you can pull out threads of yeah of things. Like part of this, part of these activist investors, it seemed to me that they thought they could be making more money uh, if if Wizards of the Coast was its own separate public right. company. Uh, which which sort of sort of makes sense. So when when I hear them talking about fewer bigger opportunities, you know that's sort of speaking to that to that group in a way that I I don't want to say is dismissive, but is sort of we know what we're doing. So we got it. We time. always we always knew about this. Yeah, you know, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, partner. We 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 always had a plan, and and because you know, that's what's funny about our long term strategy, right? We were always right. working on this. You just couldn't see what we were doing. It's a little bit like the explanation of drow. We there are always good right. drow in cities, and uh, yeah, right. Lothal is always this way. It's it's a little revisionist, right? Yeah, yeah, a, a bit. So, so that that's interesting in the sense that you know what are fewer but bigger opportunities, mm-hmm. um, and what is it creating direct relationships with our fans? Um, when you think of non role playing game things under the Hasbro umbrella, right? It's hard to create a direct relationship with Mister Potato Head. Uh, <laughs> Or monopoly. I'm trying for years. M- monopoly or <laughs> battleship or you know whatever uh, the, the, those sorts of yeah. things. So yeah, I'm I'm wondering if there have been lessons learned uh, as Chris Cox has gone from Wizards of the Coast to Hasbro, um, and what this means in terms of the larger picture of not just what the brand will become going forward, but what the game will become going forward, which is sort of an yeah. you know, important thing for me, right? As not just as a player, but as a game designer, uh, player. player, all of it. Um, so the second bit of news, I'm going to let you talk well, about, which is... I want to oh, say something ahead. about, yeah, about yeah, yeah. this first piece, because yeah. it is it is super fascinating. Um, that argument that... Hasbro is sort of robbing the energy and the profitability of wizards, which is like 90% magic, but also increasingly the D and D side. And that the company would be better off by having one side, just really focus on board games, toys, that kind of thing. And another side focus on the wizard stuff. That's, it's an interesting notion. I I, I don't like it. It is interesting Mm -hmm. But even more interesting is is the idea of what wizards can do with these things. And I was struck 
in listening to the last episode where you and Scott were talking about the history of the game and, and whether sort of a corporate focus has hurt or not hurt and, and right. all those implications. I've been also reading that John Peterson book. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's amazing is to see how the D and D folks really thought at various points that they could just take on the biggest toy companies and board game companies and, and beat them. And there's a sort of a part in the book where they kind of acknowledge publicly. Yeah. That's not in the cards for us. Right. Like we'll never be that big. Well, we, it's just, we don't have a path to it. Right. Yeah. And here's the moment where we do have a path to it. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the first time in our lives, right? You know, Gary is dead. <laughs> you know, Dave Harnison is dead. They have passed away. And, and now, only now, is there this possibility many years after the 70s to, to, to have that happen. And it's on the basis, not of just the game, right? Mm -hmm. Right. It's of the larger entertainment potential of all these things, but it, it's no easy path, right? There's, there's no, this is a lot of times, you know, fans, we want to go oh, so easy. All you got to do is, but no, it's, it's not. Right. And I mean, and we can see, you know, you can, you can have a conversation. Why is Disney plus succeeding, but why is some other similar platform not? And, and, mm -hmm. you know, and it is hard, right? It's, yeah. you think, well, Disney, oh, they can do whatever they want, but then they launch a show and you're like, that show was okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. why? It's the same team. It's a lot of the great heralded people. It's, it's not easy. It's not clear. These are difficult things to do. And there is no certainty that wizards will deploy this well. Right. Uh, but, but, but it's there. It, it's, you can see that golden ring to reach out and grasp. Yeah. And you know, part of it is in any creative endeavor, whether it's art or business or whatever you're trying to do, you need to have that sort of hubris sometimes, right? The, the act of creating is an act of hubris, right? You are making something from nothing and you think it, that it is going to be good, even when the odds and logic say it's not. So you need that sort of you need that sort yeah. of drive while at the same time you need, you know, you need logic. You need to understand the situation around you and you need to know when it's just time to not do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I could see all of it, you know, happening <laughs> over the years through TSR yeah. and then through Wizards of the Coast and through Hasbro and so on. Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, I also just a little bit more on reading the John Peterson book that it's just, it's so fascinating how, like I started playing in 1983. And one of the things I never really understood is that that was after the peak. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really feel that way to us as fans, because boy, did the glut of content just keep on coming. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it was, you know, into the nineties that we still had this glut and, and, and that feeling that D and D was still sort of big when financially it was not, mm -hmm. it, it really in around 1981 just starts falling apart, which is a really short time frame to have had a sweet spot. And that's another thing that, that I think is relevant to think about today is that you never know how things will go. Um, the economy, lots of different situations, the, the, the pandemic uh, entering different phases, all of this can really impact that growth. And you never know how that will shape things. There's never, you're never in control of the various factors around you. Right. 
Right. So it, it's really, it, this is fascinating to look at and, and how yep. it'll deploy. I do think there is, that there are multiple possible paths that can lead to something that would be really game-changing, right? That would be very big and, and, and healthy for everybody, right? That, that would elevate gaming, that would expand what role-playing games can reach to. And we're already seeing some of it. It's not, it's not only through D&D, right? We have a Blades in the Dark TV show coming out and various other, you know, there are lots of video game crossovers and always have been. There, there are a lot of potentials for that to happen in a number of ways, but clearly what D&D does is one of them. And so the second bit of news that we sort of held off here, which technically has nothing to do with Wizards of the Coast, hmm. but in reality has everything to do with Wizards yeah. of the Coast, is that the DMs Guild and Roll20 announced a partnership. So Roll20, of course, is the digital virtual tabletop, and One Bookshelf includes DMs Guild, where you can use Wizards of the Coast IP to create your own content and sell your own content. So... Roll20 and One Bookshelf announced that they will support DMs Guild content on the Roll20 virtual tabletop. Uh, This will allow digital creators to be able to create Roll20 versions of their DMs Guild content and make it available on the Roll20 marketplace. Now, Teos did a deeper dive into this than I did, so I'm going to hand it over. Yeah, it's because it's hard. You're like, okay, cool. Wait, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what it seems to mean is that let's say you've created something on the DMs Guild already, which is probably the easiest way to think about it. So, you know, Sean Merwin has an adventure on the DMs Guild. Sean can now create the Roll20 version of it, set it all up, and then sell it through the DMs Guild. And there will be a link there that when someone buys this new product, you know, which will have the same name, but then say Roll20 version on it or something like that, when you buy that new version of the adventure, you're buying the, the Roll20 version and you will be able to click on a link and in your Roll20 account, that will now be enabled. Sort of substituting for the marketplace that exists in Roll20. It'll probably be the same sort of hooks behind the scenes, you know, web hooks that will unlock that Roll20 content. Um, and the royalty split will be the same as it always has been. So for you as a DMs Guild creator, if you if you are one of those folks, you're used to getting 50% of the DMs Guild of the cut. So if, if it's a $5 product, you get $250. Um, that is not going to change for the Roll20 version. So let's say you have an adventure that you sell for five bucks and you decide to also sell the Roll20 version for five bucks. There are two products, each one you get $250 with every, every sale. One imagines that behind the scenes, some cut is going to roll 20 one would think because otherwise why would roll 20 do this but none of that information is available on what happens you know how is the other 50 percent being divided between D and obs and now roll 20 Un- unclear yeah uh, if i had to guess i would guess it's coming out of the obs side just out of guesswork because I-, I don't know that this was decided with wizards in any way right um right dm's guild is a license that OBS has to do D and D content, D and D five E content, but it, it's you know it is an OBS thing. Um, they did say that more information will come out on the program over time, as because it's not a live program yet. It's something going to roll out, and there's an initial blog uh, that's out there by Lisa Penrose. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think it, it's it's really interesting what this does. 
um, which is more than what it is on the surface, right? On the surface, it's sort of like, oh, cool, you can now have the Roll20 version enabled. And, and in some ways, that's not a giant news because, well, you could already do that for Fantasy Grounds. But it's more interesting because of the place that both Roll20 and One Bookshelf occupy in, in our space, right? Right. Because things are changing. The way we consume <laughs> games are changing. People I talk to all the time who are like, I haven't bought a physical hardcover copy of a book in forever because i'm buying it on dnd beyond or i'm buying it on roll 20 or whatever platform they they may use fantasy grounds or and so on uh so it's interesting to ponder what sort of publishing we're looking at in the future if everyone if if a group is playing only on roll 20 never in person never any other way are is that a market that's even worth catering to directly uh is it something that we will all be doing at some point will it come with the products that we buy uh and is this being done because it is known that wizards of the coast is probably making their own marketplace and or virtual tabletop so everyone's partnering up with the hopes of being a survivor if that does happen yeah i think that's exactly it right i think that these companies are in different places than they were before like if you read the roll 20 blogs where they talked about their new ceo and the investment strategies they're doing there's a lot of work that's being done here and they're acting in a much more professional manner than any of these companies operated you know 10 Mm -hmm. years ago let alone 15 years ago 20 years ago um and and that means that they they're you know they're smart they're looking at um, how to bring in a larger larger group of benefits to your platform and this is something that's happening not just in our hobby but where you look at well what does it take for someone to leave your platform mm-hmm. you don't you want that to be difficult you want your platform to be sticky and have a lot in it so if we're currently using Roll Twenty because we like it great that's one thing but also if my books are on it if my miniature tokens are on it, if I have all of these maps on it, the more I have, the harder it is for me to leave because the better the benefit I'm getting out of it. And we clearly see that on D&D Beyond where a lot of people say, well, it's the only place I'll ever make a character, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so the more that people feel that way, the more they are not gonna leave D&D Beyond. And the same is true of Roll20. The more that people feel like this is the place where you are and the more the benefits are there. So having DMs Guild material flowed straight through to mm-hmm. uh, the Roll20 works really well, even if someday D&D were to decide to pull the plug. And, and it makes it harder for D&D to pull the plug because if Wizards were to say, hey, we're ending our DMs Guild relationship, we're ending Roll20 relationship, then there is an even greater impetus that, that the, the fan base will go, no. We're not okay with that. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's it, what's fascinating to me is if you are a user who doesn't buy books anymore, hardcover, because you play online with your, your group and you interface mostly with D&D Beyond, although that's now Wizards, uh, and Roll20, the uh, Beyond 20, say, you know, connect the two, you are... Well, let's just say you have a more direct relationship with Roll20 
than you do it with Zip the Coast. And what did Mr. Cox say that they were going for? Creating direct relationships with our fans. Yeah. And so that's why that that sort of thing, right? That relationship that you have with the actual tool that you're using is as important and probably more more important than the content that ends up being there. Um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, to take that a step further, right? It's sort of like if you are on a platform like Netflix, you can begin to see entertainment through the lens of what they feed to you yep. rather than what you would find elsewhere, right? You come to that interface and it tells you what's trending, mm-hmm. but it tells you specifically, not the humanity you yeah. the individual it tells you this is trending for you and it chooses thumbnails for you that it would not show to someone else yep. and i mean it's always fun if you log out of your own account and look at it through like your kids or your wife's account your partner's account you will see these different views yeah because it, it colorizes the experience to be tailored to you to make it all sticky and fit and the benefit of that the more that we're on one platform mm-hmm. is that we get things tailored to us. Right. And, and we're right. fed sort of what we want, but also yeah. it makes it hard to leave because of all this investment, right. If you right. own things on it, if you haven't, and it, so it's, it's super fascinating to see where this goes. And as we move for, you know, the, 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 the 5.5 version that's coming mm-hmm. and, and what, wizards might want to do around this strategy it's super interesting Uh, and i hope i mean i personally while i love a platform to be good and be good for me um i also want there to be competing Mm -hmm. platforms it makes everything stronger so i do want to see more options i I, and i don't even want to just see you know roll 20 or drive through i want to see more drive throughs more roll 20s yeah. even while continuing to be a very happy Roll20 user, right? Like I, yeah. to, that's what will make it better. It's what pushes all these companies to, to innovate and keep doing yeah. things. And so I'm always a little hesitant around sort of the stickiness of these platforms. Right. We see that with Kickstarter, right? You know, yeah. groups are trying to, to provide options, GameFound and Crowdfunder and all of that. But it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult because once the algorithms are at a certain level, it's exceedingly hard to get those same benefits on other platforms and yeah. draw new people there. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned sort of personalized marketing. And when I was thinking about what D&D Beyond has done since they've been acquired by Wizards of the Coast, it really hit me that the two big things they've done, you know, within the last month or so is the Vecna dossier and this Radiant Citadel free chapter. Yeah. And look at what, who the market for each of those products would be or the market for the audience, right? The one is, hey, you know, D&D Beyond or uh, Stranger Things just showed Vecna. So let's bring Vecna up. Now, Vecna is this powerful being. We don't have a product that's com- that we know of. We don't know. Maybe they do. <laughs> right. That, that t- uses Vecna. But what did they give us? They gave us a brief history of Vecna and then a 20th level adventure. Right. And who does that speak to? That speaks to the <laughs> the users who you know, have 20th level characters who are constantly complaining that there's no high level content. Well, here you go. Uh, oh, and by the way, give us your email address because you have to have an account in order to uh, 
to access this. With the Radiant yeah. Citadel, they did almost the opposite, right? It wasn't like the Vecna stat block, right? All us geeks were like pouring over the stat block and talking. With the Radiant Citadel, there's almost no game content. It's all, it's all about this sort of utopian yeah. or potential utopian society uh, where it's very inclusive and it's very, uh, you know, they're, they're pitching this coming together of all of these different civilizations into a coherent uh, and well-established and yeah, I mean, utopian is the best word to describe it thing. Uh, and let's get the book that goes along with that really two different markets, two different demographics for those, but they're both put out there to bring in people. Oh, by the way, sign up for an account to get this. Right. Um, you know, you don't need to buy anything. Just give us your email address and you, you know, get, get an account. And I, th- you know, I think it, it shows that sort of next step that wizards of the coast is paying attention to these things and and really yeah. pushing in 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 that sort of not using technology to show you something different, but just putting something different up for a different subset of the gaming population. Well, and the tech of it is interesting because what I found myself noticing, so the Vecna thing, both the Vecna thing and the Rain and Citadel were unlocks during a certain period of time, right? Sure. And so if, you, if during that period of time, you click on this, unlock it, it becomes part of your account. And so you, you don't have to buy Radiant Citadel. You always have the intro chapter. You don't have to, there's no Vecna to buy, but you have the Vecna piece there. And yet it looks just like a blog post. Mm-hmm. Like their blog posts have the same look. I could, if, right. if I were them, I would probably change up that look. But it, it made me think like, this is basically like a blog post that the link will be hidden after some time, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like the page is getting hidden. But I can't say that the Vecna stat block has that much of a greater value to me than say the free adventure. Mm-hmm. I could argue it either way. right? Um, and yet one of them is just a blog post that's always out there, obviously free. And one is one that I unlocked for whatever reason. And the reason of course, is to create that stickiness of it, right. to keep you coming. Yeah. And 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 it, it it's something that we saw just back when Spelljammer was announced not long ago, just, just around the time the D&D Beyond, Beyond purchase uh, acquisition was being announced, that there was this Spelljammer-free content, mm-hmm. both on D&D Beyond, probably done very quickly, mm-hmm. and free on the D&D website. And I wonder if we'll just stop seeing that through the right. website and more do it through D&D Beyond because it sort of becomes an easier, you know, it becomes part of your your things that you've purchased on there, which creates that, stickiness well it's 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 the direct relationship with the fan right right how how often do you and i go to D &D beyond Mm -hmm. multiple times a day for me and probably for Mm -hmm. you oh yeah how many times do you go to the wizards of the coast website i mean i I used to live there is the honest thing but 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 they 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 changed how that site works to the point where now you know, you could go for the podcast, but the podcasts are probably on your podcast listening host. Yep. You could go for Unearthed Arcana, but you won't stay there long. And so, yeah, right. right. Yeah. I mean, if I go once a week, that's mm-hmm. a lot and just to see if there's any news. But the, if you go to their news section, you know, most of it's like from months ago. 
Uh, that's true. And the so studio blog that was supposed to be once a month has right. not quite been. And yeah. And so I see D and D beyond as this, that's where the relationship they have with their fans are. That's where, that's where you go to look at your character. That's where you go to roll dice. That's where you go to. And so if you're going to put articles up and connect it to the rules that are also going to be there, then that that is that direct relationship with the fan that that can be enhanced is one word to use it manipulated is another <laughs> way to look at it depending on what your uh, worldview is but you know that's that's where you can add some value to the content as well as as you keep saying make it sticky for yeah. fans and and what i love thinking about is that, you know, right now we're talking about stuff we use to play the D&D game. But if we take it back to the Hasbro level, not just even the Wizards level, but the Hasbro level, how do you create that stickiness around the big, what did they call it? The the large... Fewer, bigger opportunities. Fewer, bigger opportunities, right? So what are the fewer, bigger opportunities? Oh, the D&D movie. Yep. The D&D TV show. You know, how do we link to those things? Because it's not like, like a bo- creating a board game or having a starter set. Those are, those are things you do and they're good and they make good money and all that. But that's not the ball game. The ball game is this larger, the fewer, bigger opportunities. And, and that's where how those things become part of the stickiness will be really fascinating. That's, that's your make it or break it, right? If you want to, to be, first of all, as big as, say monopoly or you know back then it was trivial pursuit right but if you want to be bigger if you want to be like disney plus or anything like that well then those those are your fewer bigger opportunities and that's clearly what they're investing in Mm -hmm. uh when they look at other models and it's why they're hiring people from microsoft and things like that right they want these bigger deployment things and so how does that work right how do you get that And, and and what does every company want companies that provide content what does uh, to do social com- good oh sorry yes that is exactly what their mission statement says but what they want are subscriptions right yes. they want you to put your credit card down pay a per month thing and forget about it yep. and so that's why i saw fewer bigger opportunities and i'm like that's maybe fewer bigger opportunities to market people into an area where they were, are subscribing for mm-hmm. content, for access to rules, for for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I mean it's it's all it's all good stuff, and it's so. And then the question comes down to for you and I, and for a lot of people, is how does this new paradigm affect the game? Right, mm-hmm. the the lead on the table, the pencil on the paper, uh, the die rolling across. How does it affect yeah. that? Well, and, and, you know, I, as much as I use D&D Beyond all the time for searching, because I often want to know, you know, even things like, like a phrasing, like, where can I find this phrasing? Mm-hmm. Um, and searching is the only way to come up with that comprehensively, right? So I need a digital tool for that. But I like reading paper. Mm-hmm. I like playing with paper. I am happy to run a game where nobody has any digital digital device at my table. That's my ideal. I'm not like everybody, right. but I'm still there, right? 
and, and I, I don't re really want to be anywhere else. I like curling up with a good book, not a good data pad. Yeah. So, you know, will the game abandon me? Will it, you know, will it stop or, or will it entice me or, or what, you know, yeah. I don't know. Right. We shall see. I still love my paper. I still love my books. Yeah. And, and I, I am the opposite. I'm trying to get rid of books. I like dice rolling on the table and I like sitting around a table with my friends, mm -hmm. but I would much rather have my iPad, my character sheet on an iPad and able to link to all the rules I need right from there. <laughs> but, but the question then becomes third-party content, right? So I want sure. to play Grim Hollow stuff, yeah. but I can't go on to D&D Beyond and get that. Unless you make it all as custom material. Unless you make it all as custom material. But yeah. if I'm Wizards of the Coast, I, I have this portal now, right? And on one side of the portal are all the players. On the other side of the portal are my rules and third-party content. Now, what could I do? If, if everybody wants to use digital to create their, I don't want to sit with a book and write down all these 27 different rules to build my character. I want to have a pick list that automatically populates and then gives me the rule. Yeah. I have, if I own that portal the between the two, I can charge people fans coming in and I can charge content creators to put their stuff in the portal if yeah. I so choose. And so, you know, that's, that's not something to lose sight of sure. as, as a content creator. Yeah. And, it, and it's not just a D and D thing, right? I mean, Demi Plain uh, just announced the uh, digital tool set for vampire. The masquerade is available in early access. Um, they've been adding all sorts of platforms there. So, you know, that's another place where your, your non D and D stuff can easily yeah. fit there. And of course you can use their platform to run D and D games as well, but they they're offering that sort of D and D Beyond model, that subscription module, which yeah. they pioneered when they worked back at D and D Beyond many right. of the staff members. So, yeah, it, it it is really fascinating to see where this goes. I um, I suspect that there will be some huge changes, but a lot of it is also going to take a long time because one thing that mm -hmm. corporations have trouble with is making huge leaps and sea changes. And, mm -hmm. and again, it's hard. It's not like it's easy as much as it's easy to say like, Oh yeah, just, you know, create a Disney plus type interface and load my D and D movie and TV show there. And also my video game. And that's all really hard actually. Mm -hmm. And yeah. a lot of companies go broke trying to, to make that happen. Yeah. So we'll see how, how they do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Any any other uh, thoughts? We've got a couple minutes here to to wrap up. Uh, any? Yeah, well, I I think it'll be really interesting to see. Wizards just launched another survey recently, mm -hmm. and that survey again asked what I find to be a, a very interesting question. Uh, you know, saying the quiet part out loud, loud type question where they say, you know, assess roll 20 fantasy grounds i forget who else you know tell us do you think they're on the rise level or declining and and it's almost like you know tell us if it's okay to break up with any of these folks yeah <laughs> i don't know that that's what it's truly doing but right. you know it's assessing the strength of those platforms and and whether 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 dnd shows its hand that way will be super fascinating and whether the other industry members do additional things like we saw here with with um the DM skills in Roll20. Uh, I think that's really smart of them to do that. And I hope they do more things like that to create proper interfaces. Um, in fact, it'd be great if someone were to reach out 
into the crowdfunding space, which is, I think, a thing that Wizards does not want to do and enabled that whole beginning to end, right? If you could launch, and there was actually almost something like this initially where I think there were a few kickstarted projects that had as part of their goals that then it would all be put into D&D Beyond. And then Mm -hmm. D&D Beyond stopped kind of doing that. But but you could see that that could happen, right? Like I want to kickstart a book and put it on OBS on drive through. And also it's going to be in roll 20 and, and kind of build that whole yeah. out there. I want to put it on crowdfunder and, and right. have it go all the way through to the end. Right. Like that. Right. Or, or have wizards, uh, have wizards of the coast be the, be the Kickstarter. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Maybe even that right. I, I, it's possible, but, but, um, but some way, you know, what crowdfunding allows you to do is to, to move from just, sales to to pre-sales basically right and and create a product you never would have otherwise and -hmm. create this energy that's bigger it's it's like it because it it feels like you're marketing it's it's like it's like the equivalent of having it on a shelf at the gaming store but showing it to people in their face and so they buy it immediately right and that that engine is just it's so big and so it 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 trumps just putting your product on drive-through Mm-hmm. you know a product if you if you could choose two things and you had the energy for it and the time for it and the knowledge for it you know put it on drive through or kickstart it and then put it on drive through you want to do the crowdfunding way because that's better yeah. um you will get more sales more money out of it and we, we just saw that with empty black who who did a uh he crowdfunded his adventure mm-hmm. that he normally would have just show, sold on drive through right and he did thousands more of what he would have done in initial release. And he's already a person who just has great initial releases, but yeah. that's that kind of engine. Right. And so imagine if the folks that were backing that got the roll 20 version already integrated and the maps and the tokens and the, you know, so there's, there's yeah. that capability, but that's also expensive. Right. I mean, one of the things about this announcement of roll 20 and D and D beyond or roll 20 and, um, and OBS is that at the back end of it, is that the creator has to do this. You have right. to make a Roll20 version. Yeah. That's not the easiest thing in the world to do, and it takes some expertise and so on and so on. Yeah. See how that all goes. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Welcome back, Teos, into the world of role-playing games getting turned on its head. Oh, I love it, Sean. I mean, you know, as a nerd, this yeah. is the kind of stuff that makes it interesting. We don't want a static world. I mean, right. people say they love edition X or Y, but the reality is it's the change that makes it fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting it. We're getting lots of change coming <laughs> quicker and quicker, it seems. And hey, thank you to all our listeners out there for putting up with us for yet another hour. We are so glad to be back and talking with you. And thank you, too, to our patrons uh, who are giving a few shekels a month to uh, keep the, keep the lights on here. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP. Uh, Tails, where can people find your brilliant work on social media? Well, uh, the work can be found at alphastream.org. Um, latest post actually has links to all of the events that I'm doing at GameholeCon. And you're part of some of those. So that's pretty fun. Um, so you, you folks can check those out. And once the event registration goes live, you can click on those links and register for those games, including a flump adventure that Patreon folks help me define. So that's going to be neat. Um, how about you, Sean? Where do we find you? 
you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. You can leave comments on our on our uh, misdirectedmark.com website or on our YouTube channel. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Mastering D&D. Mastering Dungeons is a Misdirected Mark production. So Teos, now that you're back from your jaunt around the world, what are we going to do now? Uh, let's go download some monsters to our virtual tabletop. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs>